This is Reverend Chuck Blair. Welcome to our weekly podcast on New Church Live. So again, a great big good morning. Can, can you believe Christmas is almost here? Like, how crazy is that? Like, it feels funny to, to be starting up Advent season again. And, and as I love to remind people, like, I love the word Advent. Please all say why together. I want to tell you why. It's the same root for the word adventure. That's kind of cool. You know, the idea that Advent is a time of waiting, and it's a time where actually we can go on an adventure. We can, we can look at life, kind of look back at life, look at the year behind us, look at the year ahead of us, and then think about ways that maybe we're hoping something is born anew in our heart. That's why I love the title, you know, Hope Rekindled. I think that's so much part of it, right? I, I think for a lot of us, if, if you're like me, and I imagine a lot of you are, you know, we, we're living in this life and there's just this sense of that we just want something to be born. A little sense of anticipation, maybe a little fear, a little wanting of like, yeah, how does life get born anew? How does hope get rekindled? And Christmas is always this beautiful touchstone where we come back to the same stories again and again to touch this, this beautiful time of year. And I love this Indian saying that you never step in the same river twice. And I feel that way about the Christmas story. We never quite step into it the same way, though you repeat it year in and year out. But there's some, always these, these little pieces that sort of, sort of come to the fore. These, these little pieces that sort of like, oh, so, so this is this, what this story is speaking to us this year. And I hope you can find that over the next four weeks here at New Church Live. Now, now, the Christmas story, for those of you who aren't aware, you know, it, 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 it's an ancient story, and it's a story of when Christ was born and all the things that went around that. And it's not just a story of a, of a historical event. There's all kinds of beautiful poetic truths to it, too. So we can read it through kind of the literal level, and then we can read it through the poetic level, too, of what does this have to do with our lives here in 2018? And with this story, the beauty of this story is that it happens in the year zero. And going way back in history, way back into the, into the first pages of the Bible, there's all these pieces that we call prophetic, where people are, are saying, look, something's going to happen. Something will be born into the world. Something will be born anew. Talking about Christ and, and also talking again at a poetic level about our lives. This, this sense, this sense that maintenance is perpetual creation, that the furthest we can get in life is a seed to the next. Furthest phase we can get in life is but a seed to the next. So, I want to start out the service by, by reading a, a, a prophecy here. It's ancient one, several thousand years before Christ was born. And we're going to be out in the audience a couple of times today. For those of you who are first-time attendees, I want to settle you right now. You're not going to be asked to answer anything. But if you would like to participate, you're more than welcome. And the first thing I would like to do is I have a little reading here from Isaiah 11. I would love somebody to volunteer or to volunteer somebody sitting beside you to read this. I made it, because I've gotten older, I made it an 18-point font. So, you're, so you are good. So if somebody would raise their hand, I'll be out with a mic and you can read it for us.
All right, who is a brave reading soul? Here we go. A green shoot will sprout from Jesse's stump, from his roots a budding branch. The life-giving Spirit of God will hover over him, the Spirit that brings wisdom and understanding, the Spirit that gives direction and builds strength, the Spirit that instills knowledge and fear of God. Fear of God will be all his joy and delight. He won't judge by appearances, won't decide on the basis of hearsay, He'll judge the needy by what is right, render decisions on earth's poor with justice. His words will bring everyone to awed attention. A mere breath from his lips will topple the wicked. Each morning he will build righteousness and faithfulness in the land. Thank you, Dan. So there's that beautiful prophecy, a beautiful line. I want to come back to how that starts. It, it, it starts out with this idea that a, that a green shoot, a green shoot will arise. And that's powerful stuff. I want to talk about that stumpness of life for a minute. So much of what we think of of Christmas is like this. You know, a Christmas tree. Arguments over the best colored lights, right? And we all know that white lights are the best. Arguments over ornaments and this, that, and the other thing. But, but we have this beautiful idea of the Christmas tree, which is indeed a beautiful idea. And we have a giving tree out there as well that, that we're going to be talking about here in a minute. But life, a lot more of the time, I shouldn't say a lot more, maybe I should just say a lot of the time, feels much more challenging than that. Much more kind of this kind of picture. This is a picture from California where things kind of feel torn down, they, they feel hard, they feel challenging. But maybe we can start to see some little piece of growth there. It's interesting that, it, that at times like this, I was talking with a parishioner before the service, and, and at times like this, in these really challenging times that we can have in our lives, in a way it makes that, that green look even greener. It makes that growth even more apparent to us. And it makes it all part somehow of life. Somehow that we can see that, that, that life has these, these parts, but that, that it all in the end somehow belongs. I love getting into that conversation and, and hearing from people who've, who, who work in that, who, who work in places that are really difficult, but who again and again both see those little green shoots and who do what they can to, to make those little green shoots come alive to support them. Maybe that can be part of how we hold Christmas this year. What's that little green shoot that's coming alive? And we're very fortunate, and we're going to get to hear here from Michael Kellerman. Michael's the CEO of The Village, and, and it's a group that, that works with adolescents who are at risk. It's who we're doing the giving tree for out there. And Mike's just going to take a few minutes just to describe a little bit of how he connects with this message. So with that, please give a very warm New Church Live round of applause to Mike Kellerman. Thank you very much. 
Thank you, Chuck, and thank you all for such a warm welcome. I feel very welcome in this environment. Um, as Chuck said, I'm Michael Kellerman. I'm the president and CEO of The Village. Thought I'd talk to you a little bit about The Village and what we do and how that connects to the message that is so profound here today. So The Village is 141 years old. We're an organization that's dedicated to child welfare. And it started 141 years ago when a group of women of faith came together and saw that there were children that didn't have families, saw that there were children whose families had crises in them, or those children had crises and that family was not a stable unit, a healthy place for them to thrive. And they said, if we're not gonna do something, who is gonna do something? So that idea kind of weaves through um, coming to the present at the village and what we do. We offer a number of programs that work with children, but the, the basic foundation of our mission is when there isn't a family unit or that family unit isn't a safe place for children to thrive, we step in and help. When there is no family unit, we step in to help. And so I thought I'd tell you a little bit about two stories of two girls that really help bring to light what our mission is. I wanna talk about Carrie and I wanna talk about faith. So I think it's important to acknowledge that, again, this idea of what weaves through our mission is this sense that it takes a village. We are called the village. This is a concept that I think we all embrace. So let me tell you a little bit about Carrie. So Carrie was a fun-loving and goofy young girl. She loved working with animals. She found that she was a good singer and she had a facility for playing the piano and loved to perform with people. When Carrie was 12 years old, she experienced sexual abuse on the hands of her piano teacher, systematically. And this changed the course of Carrie's life. It was like a light was snuffed out in Carrie. She started to get into the wrong crowd. She started skipping school. Her behavioral patterns started to change. She started to drink and to use drugs. And the next 15 years of Carrie's story is characterized by a roller coaster cycle of rehab and relapse, of loss, of trauma. And unfortunately, Carrie's story ends tragically. Carrie took her own life at the age of 33. But let me tell you about Faith. So Faith was born in West Philadelphia. She was born into a family and into a community where violence and crime and drugs and abuse was rampant in her life. Faith is the oldest of four siblings. Um, she doesn't know her father. Her father was incarcerated when she was younger. She has a mom who struggled and had multiple jobs, but herself was suffering from addiction. And so there came a time when Faith and her siblings couldn't thrive in that family unit. And so they became part of the foster care system in the Philadelphia area. Now Faith's younger siblings actually did quite well in foster care. They were in a therapeutic foster care and it was an environment that was safe, but Faith by this point was a teenager. We know about teenagers. Teenagers push boundaries, teenagers struggle. And so Faith wound up bouncing from one foster care environment to the next, causing more and more trauma in her life, until she arrived at a foster mom that understood trauma. She started to see something in Faith. She was the first person to discover that Faith self-harmed. She would cut herself and then hide it from the world this way that she treated and thought about herself. When this was discovered, Faith was referred to the village in our psychiatric residential treatment program. When she came to the village, she was a tough kid. She pushed against any idea of being helped. She pushed against this idea of being in a therapeutic environment. But we had this sense of unfailing hope that she could create a future for herself. 
And so over time in working with our psychiatrists and our therapists and our clinicians and in our school on site and in just working with staff who care about her, faith started to, or you started to see that rekindling that you're talking about here, that seed. She started to connect with her peers. She discovered she loved to draw. She loved our dance classes. And over time, you started to see something profound happen. Now, Faith was with us for eight months. Um, this was several years ago. Faith is now at a local university, and she is studying to become a nurse. She's kind of a pillar of strength with her siblings. Her mom still struggles. She still struggles. But now she has a, a language. She has a village to speak about her struggles. And she talks about her struggles as becoming her strength her struggle becoming her strength. And this is a story of success for us. Now, Faith has said one of her big life goals, and a lot of the kids that come to us, they don't see themselves as being capable of having goals. One of her life goals is to come back to the village one day and to tell her story to all the adolescent girls that we serve in that program. Now, what she doesn't know is she could come tomorrow. We would be happy to have Faith at any time come and speak to this. But she, what's important, is that she determines when she's ready to do that, to stand up and speak before a community of people that have been where she has been. So what we do at the village is very hard work. And when we have new staff come on board, one of the first things we ask is, tell us your story. Why are you here? There's so many things you could choose to do. You choose to do this work, which can be so difficult. And that roller coaster is something all of us as staff members see on a regular basis. Why do you do that work? So I thought I would conclude today by telling you why I do that work, why I come to the village every single day and take on that challenge. So I told you a lot about Faith. I'll tell you a little bit more about Carrie. So Carrie grew up in a nice town in Connecticut. Her father had a good job at a corporation. Her mother was a school teacher who then became a full-time mom. When Carrie experienced her trauma, her family just simply didn't know what to do to help Carrie. Carrie didn't know what to do to help Carrie. So Carrie is my sister. We lost Carrie on September 11th, 2013, and she has become my inspiration. So Carrie is a reminder of how narrow the path is to healing from trauma for children. Trauma creates a breakage. It creates something that needs repairing in children who don't necessarily have what an adult has in terms of the capacity to put perspective around their experience and seek support. So when I think of Carrie, I think of how narrow that path is, but when I go to work, I get to see the thousands of children who, because there are villages like our organization and the many organizations that do this work, are able to create a path, even if it's narrow, for healing from trauma. I'm reminded of this in my work because of Carrie and because of people like Faith. And so when I come to you today, when I'm emboldened to come to groups of faith, to donors, to foundations, when I hop on a train to Harrisburg to argue for more funding for trauma-focused care in the child welfare system, it's because I know that we just need more. Because I believe that every single child that experiences trauma can heal and should heal. And it's up to us to create that village that provides that service. So I'm very happy to be welcomed here in your conversation about rekindling hope and about that sense of unfailing hope, which pushes us to do our work, because it's through the village that some of these children can heal. But it's the concept of healing, it's the concept that we are here every single day that I think makes it different, a difference in the uh, lives of these children. So I just want to thank you for welcoming me. It's a real honor. Thank you very much. That's beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
That's a powerful story. <laughs> Thank you, Mike, very much. So as the band comes out, let's think about that idea of hope rekindled. Let's really, really think about it. Let's think about what we can do and what we can be. Because it's, it's not just, folks, it's not just a private salvation project. One of the things we get tripped up on all the time. It's just private. It's, it's not. It's, it's, Advent is about this, this much deeper and richer embracing of hope. Embracing in times that may look like a fire has destroyed it all, but we can find those green shoots. Give them life. Give them breath. Give them care. And most importantly, most importantly, I'm going to talk about this more in the second half. How do we give those little green shoots, that prophecy, a little love? Yeah, how do, you, how do you follow up with that story and that song? You know, it's, it's powerful. And I, and I think about this. I mean, what I really want to talk about, I really want, want people to leave here with a sense of, is, is the sense of gifts. The sense of, of what those gifts are that we can offer. A sense of not that there are gifts, that, I mean, it's, it's part of it, of course, what's, what's from us, but... But more important, please, please, please think about this as we start in Advent season. What's the gifts that move through us? What's the gifts that move through us? And I don't mean through us like, I am gifted and I'm here to give it to you. <laughs> you know, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the gifts with a capital G that move through us. Can I tell you a story from last Friday? So, so last Friday, I'm very, very privileged and honored to do Friday chapels over at the Bernathan College. They call it Friday Morning Live. Is that good or what? And, and super fun, you know, it's just it's New Church Live sort of, but in uh, Twitter form, you know, 146 characters or less. And it's, it's, it's a beautiful one. And I was going over and I was, wanted to talk to them about this, this idea of gifts from us versus gifts through us. And I don't know who in this congregation did it, but you get 15 extra credit points, just so you know. Spend them wisely. Because this is what happened. Is I, I came downstairs, and there, right at, the, at the, where the mail bins are, there's a gift. And it's to the parents that Angela was talking about at the beginning of the service. And it says what the gift was, all wrapped up beautifully. You know what the gift was? Kitchen utensils. Is that the most sexy gift in the world? <laughs> yeah, yes and no, right? Like, I'm not giving that to my wife this year, you know? Um, but you know what? I'm like, I'm holding that. Do you know what that gift means to that family? Do you know the ripples that creates in our world? Kitchen utensils, green shoot, one and the same. And I think what we have to do is we have to think again, what are the, what are the gifts that, that move through us? Now, I, I want you to hear from some of you folks about a gift in particular that struck you, a gift that had great meaning to you. So Angela has the microphone. 
I'm going to ask for like three people who would like to share. Angela will come around. She'll hand you the mic. What's a gift that, that really kind of like resonated in your heart for you? A gift where you felt like it wasn't just the present. It was, it was something else. There was just something that was just reaching so far back and coming through this person that made that gift incredibly, incredibly meaningful. So if we could have like three volunteers, just raise your hand. Angela will be around. Um, about 10, maybe a dozen years ago, uh, I had been walking through Costco, and every year they have a nativity set. And they're always beautiful, but this year it was just exquisite. I don't know what it is about it, but it just feels so, it just felt so special, and uh, the detail was just amazing. Mm. So I had been down visiting my in-laws and just happened to say that I was there, and oh, they had this gorgeous nativity set, and it was so pretty. And about a week later, I came home, and I opened my garage door and walked in, and there the big box mm. was in my garage. So um, I have always loved it. I thank them every year. Every year that I put it out, I'm just tickled pink by it. So I'm sharing That's that. That's a great one. Thank you, Kelly. Um, we'll see if I make it through this one. Uh, it happened yesterday. Um, I, uh, for those who don't know, I'm about uh, 14, 15 months post-cancer uh, diagnosis and seem to be through some of the worst of it. Um, but yesterday was my son's uh, eighth birthday. Mm. And um, thinking about all the presents he received yesterday and the gifts he was given and the experiences, whether it's um, you know, going to the movies or anything like that. But um, in the wake of all of that, uh, this eight-year-old turns and says, uh, this is the best day of my life. Mm -hmm. And for me to be alive uh, on what he's considering at eight years old to be the best day of his life was an incredible gift. Mm -hmm. Thank you, Kate. The first thing that came to my mind, even though I had many gifts in my life and I'm blessed for all of it, is when my first husband passed away, many people would send food over for myself and my kids to have because who was cooking? Nobody was cooking. And I remember my mother's best friend, who's also gone now, sent me over a large tub of tuna fish salad. <laughs> and First, I thought, because I had like fruit trays and all other, I'm thinking, my first tray, and I have told her this, so she, wherever she is, she's laughing. I said, at first I thought, well, this is really a silly gift, a, a silly food thing, Who, a tub of tuna fish salad. And later, now I could say it was probably the best, because we all love tuna fish salad, and it was just so easy. It sustained me for and my children for like a week to t just went in there with your cracker or bread and <laughs> spread the tuna fish and ate it or just a spoonful and grabbed it like you would peanut butter or whatever and it was 
no heating up, no <laughs> anything, you know? It was just the best. And it got us through that week when we didn't feel like doing anything else but just taking out the tuna fish salad and eating that. So that was still one of my treasured gifts, yes. Yeah. Let's give all those folks a round of applause, please, folks. Thank you. So I want you again, like hearing those gifts, they're not that far removed from kitchen utensils. <laughs> they're pretty simple things. I think again, that, that gift of what comes from us versus what comes through us is a question to return to again and again in Advent season. I want to step over here for a minute and talk about these gifts and, and talk about sort of how they, how I think they work and why I think they're, they're so important. I think we can look at gifts one of two ways, kind of my barn or God's light. That is a really bad analogy, but I'm running with it. All right, so let's say that together. My barn, let's say that better. My barn or, or God's light. My barn or God's light. You can tell I grew up in the country. So my barn has all these ideas and opinions and, and all these ways of how I am sure that the world works. My ego trips me into believing that my main gift to the world is what comes out of my barn, a.k.a. my opinions, my thoughts, my sacred ways of how I believe the world works. All guilty, please raise their hands right now. We really do fall into that. It's an ego trap that, that, that you know, that yes, my opinion, my this, my that, that is, that is what I have to offer. Sometimes, to be honest, as, as a preacher, it's, 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 it's this battle because if I get the least bit tripped up and try to speak from my barn, I'm in trouble. I'm in trouble. And it's not that I'm the smoothest preacher in the world by any stretch, but as soon as I do that, the thoughts just get all jumbled. It's a much better place when I try to think, all right, so, so what can come through me. And it's not come through me like as in, as in I or you are the source and, and it comes out that way. It's, it's, just, it's just, it's this humbling place. We just go quiet. Lord, Lord, less of me, more of you. Please, Lord, less of me, more of you. Let's say that prayerfully together. Less of me, more of you. Because I, I think that gets us into a, into a basic challenge with life. A few weeks ago, I, I threw this up as a slide about a month ago, and I said, I'm going to come back to it. And this is me coming back to it. Do we want to place our faith in unfailing love or ultimate control? Unfailing love or ultimate control? A or B? Which is it, folks? A. Please, did anybody just say B? Somebody did just say B. So, so we really have to think about that. Like, is it, are we going to put our faith in unfailing love 
we're in ultimate control. Because, because we look at the work that, that, that we do with our lives, so much of it, at least for me, is trying to get control of everything. Control of my future, control of this, control even of you know, how this church looks in 10 years. Like, like control, 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 control. That's my barn. That's my barn. My barn will never be full enough. My barn can never have enough stuff in it. My barn has way too much stuff that I never throw, I don't throw anything out of my barn in terms of those cherished opinions that I have about the world and how the world works. And then you have God's light. It's not that I necessarily see, you know, that God doesn't want us to have any opinions. <laughs> you know, that'd be a pretty boring world. But I think what we're being asked to do is to allow God's light to be part of that. And that's however you define God. Maybe you just go by the simple definition that the Bible does, actually. God is love. If we just allow that light in, I, you know, I was looking this morning, you know, as we're getting ready for Advent here, you know, candles. Like, you hold a candle. A candle is not that pretty. Is this that pretty? I, I don't think so. But then, if I can do this, all of a sudden that light becomes something beautiful. That light can become a gift that's not from me. From you or from us. It's a gift that moves through us. See that over and over again. This morning we decided to try our first ever New Church Live men's prayer breakfast. And we pulled it off. Thanks to Kelly doing refreshments with her husband. And it was wonderful to hear Kane Lermont, who spoke. And Kane, again, he's, he's at the back end of a, of a long journey with cancer here. And to hear him say the line, and this was, this was beautiful. He said, you know, I don't have answers. What I have is experience. Is that good? I don't have answers. I have experience. And we're in that room. And there's light. And there's light. There's light flowing through. When we hear a story like Mike's, you know, I got to tell you, Mike didn't tell me that was his full story. And wow, was that powerful. You share those stories. And we get a sense of a light that moves through us. A light oftentimes in the midst of darkness. Could I get an amen on that? <laughs> it oftentimes is in the midst of darkness. I think, folks, so much. It does, life does really look like this. And can, when life looks like that, can we step to a different place where life looks like 
this. Where we can see the beauty that maybe can come out of things, the beauty that can move through us, the light that can move through us. Can we get ourselves out of the way enough? I mean, maybe that's our work, get ourselves out of the way enough to get in the conversation of what we feel wants to move through us. I mean, just imagine you picked one of the Advent, one of the Advent themes, which, is, which are the four weeks of Advent, each one has a theme, uh, which, is, which is hope, love, peace, and joy. Just imagine picking one of those and going, yeah, you know what, I'm not so worried about Amazon Prime this year and free delivery and we'll get there on time. But instead, I want to figure out how joy can move through my life. I want to figure out how hope can move through my life. I want to figure out how peace can move through my life. I want to figure out how love can move through my life. And how I can put aside ultimate control and put my hope, even in the midst of incredible darkness and unfailing love. And folks, it's not just holding God way out here and going like, oh, isn't that nice? I got God up here on the shelf. Isn't that nice? God's God, I'm failing love. It's about allowing that light into our hearts so that again, and, and I urge you with this, like, like I know I have some relationships that are deeply strained. Can I trust unfailing love in that relationship that is so painful I don't even want to say it? And can I give up ultimate control right there? And in the process, maybe experience a little piece of heaven. See, the way this prophecy ends, this prophecy ends in, in such a beautiful, beautiful way. The wolf will live with the lamb. The leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf and the lion and the yearling together. And a, please say the L word there. And a little child will lead them. They will neither harm nor destroy on all my holy mountain. I think when we can do that, folks, we can make some of these shifts. A very important, things ha a very important thing can happen. This is so important. I want you to take a big breath because I really want you to take this in. Maybe fear can move to anticipation. Maybe fear can move to anticipation. And maybe anticipation with a smile can become hope rekindled. Amen. The way we're going to close today's service as we do as, as part of our, our Advent celebration here at New Church Live is this. Is I'm going to bring down the hope candle. I'm going to put it down here. And then we have cards set out in different places. And what I'd invite you to do would be to come forward if you want to. You don't have to. To come forward and just fill out a prayer that you would like us to pray over with Advent. What is something in terms of hope? you're hoping to see hope rekindled with in your life this Advent season. The band will be gently noodling in the background.
So again, you just come down, fill out a card, put it in the bin. If you really would like to, too, I'll be off on the side. If some people would like to come say a prayer with me, you're more than welcome to. The band will come out, we'll play a little music underneath, come out and enjoy writing in a prayer card. Amen. Thank you for listening. You can support this podcast at www.newchurchlive.tv.